Welcome, everybody, to another episode of After Further Review with Mark Ferreira and John Pelkey. Jeff Taylor is our producer. Another show where you see uh, two relatively old straight white men uh, essentially do what they can to eke out the final years of their existence without any discernible work in the future. All right. And it's Mark and John. Not not Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, has, just, Jeff has his whole life ahead of him. Let's right. face it. Uh, actually, we have a very fun show today. We've got Derek Abbott back. Derek Abbott, who is the assistant coach of the Coast Guard Academy, is back to break down the Baltimore Ravens as we head toward week one in the National Football League. I cannot believe it. We're going to have progressive trivia. We're going to talk about some college football ideas as well. But guys, quickly, I mean, it is such a weird feeling, at least for me, that we are four days away, three days away from the NFL starting in the midst of all of this surreal, uh, this entire year being a surreal experience for all of us, there's part of me that is very, very excited, very, very much wanting to just say, okay, we're back. We're back to normal. Things are fine, everyone. You know, there'll be a few people in a few stands, in a few stadiums, not the 49ers, of course, and probably not the Meadowlands or whatever they call it now, Giant Stadium, Jet Stadium, or what is the new name for the Meadowlands, John? The Ridiculous Dome. The Ridiculous Dome? Yeah, it's well, not actually a dome, and it costs the taxpayer <laughs> $1,100 a piece. So I'm very excited, but at the same time, I'm not, I don't trust any of that excitement. Really? I, I, I'm in a, I mean, yes, I'm in a total state of cognitive dissonance because every day, every moment of every day, something new seems yeah. to strike at me either emotionally or spiritually or mentally, and I'm constantly off balance, but I am leaning toward being very, very excited. How about you, Johnny? Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to see football. I've watched uh, a good deal of the college football we've seen, and, of course, tonight's gargantuan matchup. Uh, I don't mean – I think you'd I think you'd agree that it's the game of the pandemic. Uh, BYU yeah. and Navy, uh, I, you know. I know you're very honestly, excited about that. Toss out the records, frankly, when they get no. it together. Yeah, you're very uh, excited. But in truth, I've really enjoyed, I have enjoyed watching college football, but there has been a level of it that looks very preseason-ish. Uh-huh. We, talked about, we talked about the game the other night where throughout the entire first half, um, and I think it was Central Arkansas, and somebody don't even remember who it was at this point, but you could just tell quarterbacks and receivers aren't on the same page. So it's yeah. going to be interesting with the NFL with the limited amount of time they had. We're going to talk to Derek Abbott about uh, Lamar Jackson, who – from 2018 to 2019 made huge leaps in his performance and, and attributed much of that to the off season work that he did. Hasn't been able to do the on field off season work this year. So what, what's that going to mean for him? And what's that going to mean for a lot of teams? Uh, not the least of which is the one just down the road from us in Tampa with all the huge changes that have happened there and the expectations, which I think may do them in, Mark. I, I'm, I'm beginning to be afraid the expectations might be a problem, particularly in that division. But uh, I'm excited. I, I really am. Of course, I'm, I'm ready for it all to collapse like a house of cards. But right. uh, fingers crossed, Major League Baseball has done better as of late. Hockey's done really, really well. Um, the NBA has done well. The Tour de France. I mean, if you want to throw it out there. Um, so um, U.S. Crossed, Open in tennis, uh, except for uh, Djokovic uh, hitting a ball into a, a linesman's neck yesterday. 
and uh, being disqualified. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's normal. That's a normal, you know, you don't think it's normal kind of thing. I don't think it's normal. Now do, and, you know, I mean, certainly one, 30, 40 years ago with John McEnroe, that happened every other tournament. Do you think that that woman overreacted? Oh, I, you know, and and I'm again, I'll preface all this by saying I hope she's OK. But it was one of those things like when a little kid gets falls down and looks up, see if anyone's looking. And if they're not, they just get back up. And if they are, people are looking, they start crying. Did seem like she took a minute before she she went down. Uh, well, the, my so. my thing is that he like was just kind of doing the like hit it, hit it back to the ball boy kind of thing. So it's not like he overhand served it. And no, she was he did hit a great deal harder than he normally would. Yeah, but, but it's it a tennis seem a little over. She was she was in the background. Whoa, whoa. Well, it Jeff, made me feel less bad for her. She's OK. She is OK. Yeah. Yeah. So and I can't maybe, say this. Maybe, she may have gone to the Mark Ferreira school for physical comedy. I mean, I think that's <laughs> certainly a possibility because that's, uh, you know, a little uh, right. Not, not a lot of subtlety. Not a lot of subtlety. Sure. So a couple of things before we move on. I want to ask you about, uh, you know, some of the college football you've seen. North Texas and Houston Baptist. I'm not sure if you uh, you saw that game. Well, I think everybody knows that Houston Baptist runs that uh, that hybrid 53 defense with uh, generally cover two on the back end. They will run cover three. And most offensive coordinators will tell you that when you're looking at that sort of a defense, it really requires you to work well off schedule. So, yeah, it was a hell of a game. Hell of a game. And the and the, the famous or the most fun time I had over this past week watching sports was uh, with the Giants, Alex Dickerson. The Giants are playing pretty well. They're hanging mm-hmm. in. But, you know, with foul balls, they have to chase their own foul balls, essentially, because they want to keep everyone. They don't want to have any extraneous people in the ballpark. It's like so little league practice. They have to chase their own foul balls. And, what? And you know, they throw it into the stands usually, right, With when they grab a foul ball and it's, they throw it to someone in the stands. Alex Dickerson winds up and throws it as hard as he can at one of those cutouts. And it's just hilarious. That is awesome. It's like it's target practice. It's Maybe they could add that into like late innings as, as opposed to putting somebody on second. If there you, you can snag, a, a, you know, if you can snag a foul, uh, a ball in foul territory and set your feet and fire within three seconds and nail one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the cutouts, maybe, maybe you get, I don't know. Maybe you get like an extra strike for that at bat, or, or, or your next at bat. Something. Let's add a little excitement to it. Amanda has uh, Amanda, who is Joe Connolly's wife, who is yep. one of our most loyal listeners, uh, has chimed in on one of the comments. If you're just listening on the podcast, she says, "Mark, you know that Joe cheats at your trivia quiz, right?" <laughs> and I, I've always suspected that, John. I've said it on the air. Yeah, you have multiple times. And uh, and now we have confirmation. All yep. right, let's go to that. It's a perfect transition, Amanda. Thank you very much. We'll go to our progressive trivia. First set of clues coming up right now before we get to Derek Abbott. First set of clues. We're looking for a Major League Baseball player. And as we know, these are the easiest ones to write. Let's take a quick look. Joe Conley, fire up the performance-enhancing device. Here we go. <laughs> and now there's domestic discord over in Scotland. In the well, UK. Our work is done. 17 seasons in the majors for three teams, had 120-plus plate appearances in the playoffs, decent amount, hit 230, though. Played with Otis Nixon and Edgar Renteria. That's always designed to throw people off, but I have not had good luck with that in the last few times. Finished in the top five for MVP three times. So there it is. 
MLB progressive trivia. And now, if he is indeed ready, want to welcome in Derek Abbott, who is the assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy, former college football quarterback, hosts his own show, Quarterback School, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, live. Derek Abbott, how are you, my friend? Thanks for joining us. Good. Thanks uh, for having me again, guys. Uh, We're going to break down the Baltimore Ravens today, and uh, we're very excited about that. Want to ask you first what you think overall of this team's chances this year. I think they certainly improved themselves in the draft, and they have one huge hurdle, in my opinion. I think most of our opinions in the AFC. How do you see it playing out in a a big-picture thing before we get down to the uh, breakdown of the inside-out? I think they have a great chance to win the uh, to win that division again. Um, a lot of it has to do with you know uh, teams have had the off season to kind of study the tape of Lamar Jackson and and all the intricacies that their offense um, has and the little nuances that they do. Um, but it, at the end of the day, you know you, you can do all the Zoom calls you want in the world. It's not going to stop Lamar Jackson. Um, so you see so those practices and stuff are going to come really into play. But it's going to be interesting to see you know how fast they get out of the gate and uh, how teams are going to be able to try to adjust to them um, schematically on defense. Well, well that, um, I'm sorry, Mark. Uh, to that, Derek, one, the one thing that Jackson has admitted and everybody talks about that he, he, he doesn't really have in his uh, quiver right now is uh, he's not really effective in, down, in the downfield throw. I think for throws of 15 yards or more, 27th in the league in completions, uh, he's a 22nd in completion percentage uh, for down the field. Um what he's had an opportunity, he said in the offseason, to work on watching film for reading defenses and those sort of things. But quarterback receiver stuff, that's all timing. You know as well as anybody, repetition yep. is what makes that work. How successful do you think he's going to be? Because if he could add that into his game, then he, I think he elevates himself even higher on the uh, quarterback scale. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, some of the things that he does are just. Uh, they remind me of like 2004, like Michael Vick, um, just, just some of the, the out of structure plays that, that that he creates. Now, the downfield stuff, that's kind of what a formula is to, to try and to beating him is getting them behind the down early or behind the sticks early. So you get him into that third and 17, third and 12, third and even nine. Um, to hopefully try and force him to throw the ball down the field. Tennessee did a great job of that in the divisional round where they forced Jackson to throw the ball down the field and outside the numbers as well. Really, when you when you play against Baltimore, you really want to control the middle of the field. Um, you know, your back end and your, and your defensive line really have to all be in sync together um, to, when you're rotating people and, and sending blitzes to try and get Jackson uh, confused. So that's really kind of like what a, a formula is. Um, to beat him, but I'd like to see that uh, that he's able to make more plays um, in structure on timing. But like you know, you alluded to, it's going to be so different this year without without. Now he's got a lot of guys that are returning anyway, so he has that 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 repertoire with them. But um, it's going to be different for everyone. Now I think Derek, to your point about if you can get him in third and long situations you have a much better chance. It also seems to me what Tennessee did effectively was get ahead of them 14 to nothing or whatever it was. And it just seems like that is the key because if they even have, if it's tied or if they even have a three point lead, it's almost impossible to beat them, to beat Baltimore. They're able to control the ball so well and do what they want and just keep it as long as they want seemingly. But if they're behind, is there an element of Jackson's game 
needs to evolve, that he that there can be I don't know if it's his game or if it's maybe just the offensive uh the offensive scheme needs to evolve to figure out ways to be more strike. Well, the team that you guys actually talked about earlier, um, they're very, very similar to oh, I got a book flying on me. <laughs> um they're very similar to to kind of like Navy and Army and the teams that run the triple option, that their whole goal is, is to control the football, run the ball down your throat, chew up clock, and then when they get ahead, it, you know, it, it's yeah. it, you're playing the game at their pace. But when that when that team gets behind and they got to start throwing the ball a little bit more, um, you could put them in some, some difficult situations and spots where, you know, you're taking them out of there, what they want to do. And, in fact, um, Last year, I believe it was um, Paul Johnson, who is the uh, head coach at Navy and Georgia Tech that ran the triple option, met with Greg Roman and Harbaugh's staff to, to talk about triple and how maybe they can use it in the NFL, which they do. <laughs> there, there's definitely components of the triple um, that, that Baltimore uses in their scheme. But, but I mean, I, that's kind of like with every quarterback, you know, you get them into third and long situations, you, they're going to turn the ball over. They're going to make mistakes because now you've got to really push the ball down the field um, for Baltimore. It's just uh, amplified a little bit more. Except Patrick Mahomes. You can get him down by 24. You can have third and 15. It doesn't matter. I want to ask about about that uh, pocket discipline and all of that, Derek, because for people and, you know, former high school football player back during the leather helmet era who's worked in sports for a while. But, you know, everybody, if if you're not as versed with the game, you might be surprised at how many coaches, other quarterbacks talk about how important footwork is. Mm-hmm. And for guys who have the ability to to also move the ball down the field with their feet, a lot of those guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, really haven't learned a lot of that footwork stuff that uh, the pure po- pocket passers had to learn. Um, how to extend the play with while keeping your eyes downfield and not taking off downfield. Um, is is that something that he will have been able to improve on on his own, um, his, his own footwork? Because it has been a couple of uh, I've read some things about, you know, his footwork will break down. Part of that is because he knows he can take off and probably pick up 12 or 14 yards at a pop. But is that something you see that he could have improved on, given the limitations of this offseason? That's probably one thing that you can improve on more than anything else. That in film study is footwork because you you could do footwork drills anywhere in your backyard, in your room, a ladder, get, get anything to move around. Uh, you kind of be creative with it. So that's that's really something that uh, I'm sure that he's he's um, really tried to work on this offseason because, you know, you got nothing else to do. <laughs> so so footwork is definitely something that um, is extremely important. You know, whenever whenever I talk with guys, you know, you really throw from the ground up. Um, there's only, you know, guys like Patrick Mahomes that have that unique arm talent that they can throw from from any launch point, any angle, but, but really, I mean, having your feet in the right spot um, is really what's going to give you more accuracy, more power behind your throws. So you, you talked about the run game a little bit, certainly when they have the lead, when they're in control, when they eat the eat up yardage and clock uh, that run game. If, if you let's dig down a little bit on the run game, uh, let's do it without Jackson in there. I know Jackson is a huge part of their running scheme, Mm-hmm. But what do they? What else do they do that's unique to them that either doesn't rely on them or just banks off of him? Well, what's really interesting is you know key key run plays that 
people have been running for a hundred years, your power, your counter, your, even some of your inside zone stuff. They do, they run those same plays, except they just block it differently. Very similar to what Kyle Shanahan does in, in, um, in San Francisco as well. So typically like for, let's take the play power, for example, the first thing you think of is a pulling guard, correct? You think a guard's going to pull through for the linebacker. Well, what Baltimore will do that, and it actually messes with the keys for a linebacker because a linebacker is taught to, hey, read the guard, pull guard pulls, hey, follow the guards. That's where the play is going. Well, with Baltimore, they'll pull a tight end. They'll pull a tackle. They'll do all these sorts of different things that it's still at the end of the day, still power, but they're just using a different person uh, out of their personnel groupings uh, to create different angles or leverages or, or different matchups in, in their blocking schemes. They also, like I said, when they when they – do some of the Army and Navy triple option stuff. And I know you said not to bring up Jackson, but yeah, you can't, you have to. <laughs> right. But they'll, 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 they'll do stuff where they'll run three plays in a row where they'll have um, two tight ends on each side of Jackson and then one behind an angle behind him or something like that. So it's a 22, uh, 22 personnel. So they'll do 22, 21 personnel. They, they do a little bit of everything. But remember what I was talking about earlier in some of the other shows, how they're able to, disguise um their their personnel with their formations too so really like you got two tight ends in the backfield as like running backs but they can also kind of do both you get the, these more hybrid type players and then you know you, you, like your mark andrews who is able to he's really effective in the pass game and in the run blocking game so you know they might show dive straight for straight down the hole the the a gap and then jackson will pull it and run for 15 yards you know, or they'll give it because they don't want Jackson to get out on the perimeter. So they widen the defensive fronts. Now you're getting holes in the A gaps and B gaps that shouldn't be there at the NFL level. Um, then they'll do the same. They'll give the same look, play action off of everything, and then throw a boot pass to Mark Andrews in the flat. It's extremely frustrating to play against because it's like you always feel like you're one step behind. And to that point, Eric, is that something that might be incumbent upon offensive coordinator and offensive coaches to use that threat that Lamar Jackson presents and uh, use that to free up those deeper routes? Because I, I have to assume that if you are a defensive back playing against the Baltimore Ravens, that uh, you, it may not be your first uh, responsibility but keeping an eye on Jackson and seeing what he's doing uh, beyond the line of scrimmage coming up has to be a big part of it because you better have a secondary that tackles well when you play against a Lamar Jackson. Is there a way that they can use that better uh, to free up his downfield uh, receivers, perhaps? Well, a lot of the ways that teams will use this when talking specifically towards Jackson as well is, is using some of the play action component and some of the deeper third level RPOs, what we are really second level RPOs where instead of reading a linebacker, now you're reading a safety. So if the safety comes down in the box for the run support, you might have a post right behind him. Right. So there it's just opening one small window here and there with some of the run game action. Um, are the RPOs just something else that they do a ton? Um, to give Jackson because now you're freezing those linebackers because now do they go run for the wide zone? Do they stay home for Jackson or do they try and sit on the slant that's coming behind their head? I believe the first week when they dropped a million points on Miami, um, <laughs> one of their big touchdowns was an RPO that they had a wide zone from the shotgun. They ran wide. Lamar Jackson read the weak side inside linebacker 
weak side linebacker flowed hard with the uh, with the zone, and uh, Marquise Brown just ran a simple three step slant inside, took it to the house, was untouched. So those are some of the. It's almost like it's unfair because whatever the defense does, they're wrong. Yeah, and and in a way, RPOs generally it seems like are unfair because it's the quarterback gets to make the call at any mm-hmm. given time during the course of the play mm-hmm. as to what window may or may not be open, where the defense is doing their best to attack, but they also have to be on their heels, to your point. So I think RPOs, if you run them well as a team, is is something the NFL still, the defenses still have to catch up to. And specifically, you said it, it's frustrating. You're a step behind every time when you play Baltimore. What are NFL defensive coordinators doing to try and adjust to that? It seems like over the last few years, offenses have stayed one step ahead of defenses, unlike what had normally happened in the NFL where it didn't take long for defenses to catch up. Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword to stop some of the RPO stuff. Um, what some teams have done is played a lot more bump and run, played a lot more man coverage, Yeah, but you got to have the guys to do it. Um, it's a lot harder too in the NFL because you have a five yard rule that you can't bump after five yards college. You could do it all the way down the field. It doesn't matter. But a lot of teams will play more um, like cover one stuff, straight man across the board or what we call cover one. And then with a Robert player in the middle of the field that is primarily just keying the quarterback and see where he's looking. So typically like a defense could kind of get a, um, you got kind of get like a, a sense of what the offense is trying to do, the RPO standpoint, meaning if I have a running back right here, typically the run is going to go to the opposite side and cross face of the um, cross face of the quarterback. So the quarterback is sightline wants to be back towards the running back side away from the run itself. So a lot of times a, def- a defender can look at that and be like, OK, well, they're going to run some sort of pass route over here and try and pick up on it now offenses is now has stayed ahead of that where you get same side RPOs like Kyler Murray did it against uh, I want to say Cleveland this this year everything apparently is against Cleveland um, <laughs> uh, where, where he read he read inside zone on the same side and then threw a, uh, a stick route to Larry Fitzgerald for a touchdown so those are it, it's always staying one step ahead the RPOs are just so tough they're really the only way that you can beat them is um, getting routes rerouting with your defenders, just right at the line, just jam them and throw timing. Cause that's what it's, what the RPO is. A lot of it's based off. You throw off timing, you mess with the quarterback's read. It, it can go south pretty quickly. Which is why everybody likes big, fast cornerbacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, let me ask you because the other, uh, the other issue with defensing our uh, RPOs with quarterbacks that can run them very, very well. You brought up Paul Johnson, the former Navy coach, Georgia tech coach, you know, Georgia tech would upset somebody that they shouldn't once a year, they'd upset Florida state or they, you know, they'd beat somebody who was clearly more talented because you can talk about and watch and film all of the RPO or option football, but if you don't have people that can replicate that on a practice field, then you're in trouble. And I would assume that for defenses that are now have to defense a Mahomes, a Lamar Jackson, guys like this who are great at that sort of RPO type of thing, that they have to have somebody on their team that can replicate that. And I just wonder if teams are signing practice squad quarterbacks for that very, very reason. Well, I think that 
I think that you almost need to like take your kicker turner and put him <laughs> in shotgun and tell him to go run around for like five minutes and then have the other quarterback throw the actual ball. We actually did that in college. Oh, we, wow. had, we had one guy that was, we, I forgot who we were playing against and the, the quarterback could run all over the place. I mean, he was a scrambler, but he could also throw too. This was at Robert Morris, I think my third year. So we put one of our receivers at, at quarterback and I stood behind him and threw the route. <laughs> when I was when I was the practice squad guy, I think we right. was a freshman. I think I, I forget when it was, but I mean, you just got to find creative ways to to try and, and replicate that. And to your point, like Navy does the same thing where they go down in Oklahoma and they almost beat Oklahoma and then they almost beat Michigan, I believe, the year before. So and you got to like practice it throughout the year. You can't just prepare for it one week ahead. This is something that needs to be worked on spring ball. OTAs, well, in college world, like teams take five minutes out of their practices and work on, okay, we got to, we got to play Navy. We got to play army. We got to play air force. We got to defend the triple. So get your knee pads on and get ready to be cut for, for 25 minutes during practice. <laughs> it's the most frustrating offense ever to prepare for. I'm telling you, army's going to win the national championship. Oh, I would love nothing more than that to happen. I liked your, uh, he, uh, Derek retweeted something from, uh, Bleacher, what, what's it called? Uh, Barstool. Barstool, oh, Barstool, yeah. And uh, it says, you know, no fans are allowed uh, at the college football games, and it showed the Army game, and, like, all of the cadets cool are, like, packing the stadium. They're in masks. Yeah. It's outside, but uh, they're packing the stadium. Oh, so. they, were, they were in more than just masks. They were in full-out costumes. They, I, I sent uniform, the I think I it was. but Yeah, I, I sent the, uh, well, no, <laughs> costumes, like, actual, like, they're wearing, like, the shark from the Super Bowl. Oh, oh, Captain America. There were like seven Captain Captain Americans. Yeah. I watched that game. Exactly. So I, I sent a picture of that to our coach, and I said, hey, can we wear this instead of a mask at practice? Like, if I just dress up as Deadpool on Tuesday, is that okay? And well, that was his response. That that's he, okay. he just sent back LOL. I don't think he was for it. <laughs> so Jimmy Smith recently tweeted, I think it was just a day of about three days ago, maybe, about the cutting of uh, Earl Thomas from the Ravens. Uh, former all-world defensive back. Uh, it was unfortunate, but the Ravens organization stands by certain principles. It's a certain type of culture here, and no matter who you are, you have to be a part of us. If you're not a part of us, we don't really need you. So evidently, <laughs> Earl Thomas was not a part of them, was not part of their culture, didn't fit into the culture that they have. Can you talk a little bit about what that culture is? And uh, what is deficient in Earl Thomas's personality <laughs> as to well, why he couldn't fit in? Well, I, I think that that's such an testament, a testament to to Harbaugh and, and that entire organization of of everybody buying in. I mean, you could even look further back. When I know we've been talking about Lamar Jackson, is how they basically revamped their entire offense, an entire organization, to build around Lamar Jackson. So a lot of teams, you know, they have the, the draft mindset of, you know, get, get the right, get the good-minded guys, the, the good team guys, character guys, and then we'll figure out everything else. And I think that that's what kind of, you know, Baltimore is. Baltimore is such – they've built such a great culture there that, you know, they understand that, you know, you got to play like a Raven every day. This is what we expect. These are the standards. And if you're not held – if you don't, you know, keep up those standards, we'll get rid of you because we'll just find somebody else. So that was like the most impressive thing I've seen. Uh, Baltimore has been winning this offseason, I can tell you that. 
What is it about Earl Thomas? <laughs> I mean, like, what does he did he just refuse to be part of the Ravens' way, or was he too single-minded, not a team guy? I mean, do we know well, what his problem I, is? I think this is almost like you can kind of go back when everybody was saying the Steelers how they maintained Antonio Brown with Mike Tomlin. I think some people are going, well, Pete Carroll kind of did the same thing with Earl Thomas if he was this big of a uh, pain in the rear. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it was such a weird thing. I mean, he posted the video of him, like, lashing out in practice, which, I mean, that's the quickest way to get cut from a team is you post practice tape on social media. Um, it was just bizarre, uh, that, yeah. that whole situation, not to mention the situation with his mm-hmm. – his brother, he and his brother are very close um, with, with the uh, with the with the woman or whatever. And his wife caught him and pulled a gun on him during this offseason. So just a lot of a lot of strange things with Earl Thomas. And, you know, the other thing about that is, is let's not forget, he just turned 31 years old and he's a young man. But in football years, there's a lot of there's a lot of tread off that tire. And I think at a point, if you're a half step slower, that changes a team's perception they'll you know obviously talent is the most uh needed resource for a football team but if you've if you've dropped mark on that as you and i know when you fall (laughs) on that talent a little they are they will get rid of you in in a heartbeat but lost a step or seven yes yes exactly Uh, all right, Derek. Well, that's great stuff. We look, we we love having you here, breaking down teams, and uh, we'll we'll give you the next one coming up. Uh, may, maybe we'll bring you back in less than two weeks this time. But I also want to talk about the other thing you got going besides. Oh, by the way, uh, coaching at uh, in the, at the college football level, you've got a show called Quarterback School that you can find on Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. Tell us a, a, a little bit about it. Uh, and there's there it is right there. There's the there are the links that you can find right there if you're watching it, and we'll also talk about that at the end of this uh, segment. But go ahead and talk to us a little bit about quarterback school, Derek. Well, it's really like one of four accounts. Um, the They're all run by uh, former teammates of mine from Robert Morris. Um, my first, The first one was uh, receiver school, and uh, it was actually my locker buddy and receiver in college, Sean Gavin, that he just had this idea. He was like, hey, I'm just going to start posting – receiver clips like breaking down film and cut-ups and everything like that i'm like oh, okay cool because you should do a quarterback one it's like oh i don't know it's just a lot and nah, i'm not really into the whole social media world so after convincing and they uh uh we we went out and talked about it over a couple adult beverages he finally convinced me got on board with it and, it, and it's kind of been something that i really enjoy doing um, it's just been a lot of like film cutups, breaking down film from last year. Uh, really anything I could find. I think the one post I had on there from like was the 1944, like Michigan Wolverines, um, breaking down their film. So just really anything that I can find, I throw together, whether it's drills or anything that's, that's, that's cool. And that's kind of like my hobby right now. <laughs> Two things I picked up from this. First of all, Tom Harmon, I believe, on that 44 Michigan team, I believe. But uh, the second thing is uh, Derek is obviously his father's son. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, because he literally quoted his dad, which was anytime you would travel with Keith Abbott and you wanted to discuss uh, and you wanted to go somewhere or do something. His response was always, 
uh, let's get a drink and talk about it. So I'm glad to see that you're following in the family <laughs> tradition that, you yeah. know what, before we jump forward, let's have a drink and talk about it. That's- you got a drink about it. <laughs> and uh, and you also interview some folks as well. You had uh, Steelers scout on uh, the last show. And let's uh, let's take a quick look at a segment, a clip from that interview. That you're at the combine and a starter at the 40 yard dash. Uh, what, what, what is that like? The, what are those guys like? Um, you know, they're getting ready basically for the biggest job interview of their life. You know, I, I know me and you always talk, you always try to talk about helping people out. So, what do you do at the 40 to, to try and help those guys out so they're not freaking out? Well, they're nervous and I'm nervous. Okay. We got cameras on us. We're all, I'm mic'd up. I got a guy following me. Sometimes we're down by my feet when I'm trying to run, you know, start the 40. And I have to ask, man, I'm working here. Can you move over a little bit? You know, Instagram guy. Oh, God. There's, there's so many distractions. You know, it's just amazing. You know, and I'm just trying to make sure they do the best they can and that they know I'm there for them. It's their moment. You know, I want to make sure they're calm. I don't want to yell at them. We're on national TV, for God's sakes. You know, <laughs> worst thing you do is yell at a person on national TV. You got your mom, your dad, your peers, relatives, your coaches all watching you. That's that's you don't want that. You know, so I just try and put them at ease as much as possible. You know, and correct them, and be positive, and tell them the moment's yours. That's what I try to do. All right, that's that was great. That was a great interview, by the way. He's a great guy, Mark Gorsick, uh, yes, uh, from he's Pittsburgh. Awesome. He's a hometown guy. And let's yeah. remember when the when this combine, nobody even knew what it was. It 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 operated in darkness, and now to his point, there's like five days of it on national television all day long, and it really does turn it into maybe the most stressful job interview you could ever possibly have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. It was great stuff. I We uh, recommend everyone go to quarterback school. Let's look at that slide one more time if we can, Jeff. Uh, if we're here with the podcast, I will uh, verbally tell you what these links are yeah, I'm as well. We, Coming uh, up for- we, we unfortunately are suffering from uh, technical difficulty, so I'm not going to be able to bring <laughs> that slide up again. Hey, Derek, give us the addresses on Instagram and YouTube of Quarterback School. So the, the Twitter page is just at Quarterback School under, or sorry, at QB School underscore. And then the Instagram page is just Quarterback School. And then the YouTube page is also, you guessed it, Quarterback School. <laughs> and you mentioned Receiver School as well with your buddy Sean Gavin. We're going to have him on the show on Friday. And uh, that's basically the same thing, right? It's at receiver school for Twitter, yep. receiver school for Instagram. I don't think there's an underscore uh, for his Twitter like there is for no, he, he He was first to jump on the whole football school bandwagon. So he's, he's got all the accounts. He's, he's the brains behind this whole operation. I just watched film. So there it is. Perfect. So we're going to talk to him as well, and we encourage everyone to go to those sites because it's a lot of fun. Derek Abbott, thank you once again. Good luck in your Coast Guard career. Uh, There are no games in the fall, correct? Are you guys going to go ahead and have a spring schedule? Do you know? So we're practicing twice a week right now. Um, So a lot of indie periods, a lot of one-on-one stuff that I'm meeting with guys and Really, you know, I've just been emphasizing to them, you know, make sure you're getting your school 
taken care of and, and every, everything else, football has kind of be on the back burner. We're all just kind of learning together, navigating this together. So just kind of reiterating that and coaching them in any other way that I can outside of the uh, 100 yards. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you again, Derek. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, guys. Derek Abbott, assistant coach at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, former college football quarterback star at Robert Morris and a host of the quarterback school on Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. And we'll get to his buddy, Sean Gavin, apparently the organization receiver school host uh, on Friday as well. Let's go back to our progressive trivia. Oh, can we do that, Jeff? Are we able to do that? I'm trying at the moment. Give me one second so I can see if this will come back up. Okay, a, we, will, we will tease the next segment, uh, John, for Joe Connolly's sake. Go ahead and uh, lay this out in terms of the topic he brought up over the well, weekend. Well, our, our good friend Joe Connolly, who, by the way, asked about uh, Derek's uh, pick, uh, which I just picked up for Baltimore, the over-under 11.5, and I think Derek did tell us he thought they were a 12-win team, uh, actually off-air the last time we talked about them. But uh, Joe pointed out to me, he was asking what my – uh, feelings were about the college football playoff, which as of right now, Mark, I think we all, we've all been led to believe it would be the same four team playoff uh, that, that, that it was in the past. Uh, there won't be any changes, but Joe was pointing out that teams were playing different, uh, different numbers of games. Um, Navy 11, Army 12. And I'm not saying Navy and Army are up, you know, for the national championship of the big 12 is playing. It all depends 10. on tonight's game against BYU. I think well, you, it can't all lose depends. It. you can't get back into the mix if you lose this one, maybe. So, mm-hmm. you know, yep. just be, just be aware. The elimination starts today. Uh, 10 games in the big 12, 11 in the ACC. Virginia only has 10 for some unknown reason for refusing to play someone, hopefully Notre Dame, uh, 10 games in the SEC. Uh, it, it seems in a season where we've seen other sports change their postseason schedule, Mark, because of the oddities presented, that this would be a perfect opportunity for college football to expand the playoff, albeit just for this season, the asterisk season. Yeah. Um, and my thought on it is uh, I, I know the arg- what the arguments against it will be, but uh, let me make an argument for it for just a moment. Um, unless you want to grab, you want to grab the progressive trivia first. What you know? Great job, great awareness, John Pelkey. Yes, exactly. That's All a right. perfect setup, a perfect tease to tell us what the reasons for it will be, because we all know the tropes that will be laid out against it. Here we go. Progressive trivia. Major League Baseball player played for 17 seasons. Three teams had 120 plus plate appearances in the playoffs but only hit 230, played with Otis Nixon and Edgar Renteria. And was it that clue that gave you your first guess, John? Uh, yes. I See, I can't get over that. I can't get over that. I think you're a genius when it comes to played with clues. I don't. I, we'll have to talk about that <laughs> off the air. Finished in the top five for MVP three times. Next set of clues coming up. Five-time All-Star, played for eight managers, led the league in home runs once and average three times. And I'm in the Hall of Fame. And that's kind of an interesting combination, John. If, mm-hmm. you know, you lead the league in average three times and then one time actually in home runs, that's it's a pretty versatile player. Yeah, that really is. In fact, that makes that actually you'll you'll appreciate this because this is one of the greatest things you can ever say to someone who writes a progressive trivia. And by those people, I mean, Mark and I now <laughs> um, the two progressive trivia authors in North America 
uh, if only there was more call for that, is Indeed. that when you throw down the second set of clues, you've made it more difficult for me now. That second set of clues took me off of a couple of names that I thought it would be. This is good. This is very good. I, I appreciate it. In every I appreciate your appreciation. So go Thank ahead you. and lay out the uh, the arguments for an expanded college football playoff because we know uh, what they will you know pretty much throw out there for us in terms of you know the arguments against it go ahead and give us positive reasons by the way mark told me it's not vlad guerrero which was my guess um i here's the argument for it in my mind in a year where you are going to be looking at much diminished revenue i'm going to go to the most important thing for anyone anywhere money follow the money if you expanded to an eight-team playoff And I think, Mark, you would agree with me that in a normal year, going into a normal college football year, there are probably eight teams that couldn't would vie for the national championship. You may have a team, you know, jump in one year surprisingly. Now, of course, they would have to be and that team would have to be in a major conference. It can't be anybody out of a major conference. But you could have, you know, somebody jump up and surprise someone out of the ACC. All of a sudden, you know, Ole Miss gets great one year or something. It's Um, what's wrong with college football, if you ask me. It it may very. Yeah, it is a bit of a problem. It's become dynastic, and it's become the same old, same old, sort of like how the NBA can be. Major League Baseball, in my opinion, isn't like that, and nope. I don't think the NFL is like that either. But uh, even and you, know, you normally outside like the Patriots. You're a greatness guy. You normally don't mind that, but even you at this point are saying, you know, listen, I get Nick Saban at Alabama. It's been a great, it's been a great run. But yeah, Alabama, I mean, Clemson, same thing. Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio right. State, maybe throwing LSU here and there, maybe. Sure. Michigan, probably not. Throw out the Pac-12. Right, they're going to eat each other. <laughs> right, you know, maybe Notre Dame sneaks in, depending on how many steroids or academic fraud they commit. Oh, that's only under Lou Holtz, I'm sorry. Yes, that's so, right. Um, <laughs> but my, my point being, in a year where you will agree, there's a lot of diminished revenue. Obviously, uh, I think Florida just announced they're going to have 20% capacity in the stadium. There were fewer games, some teams as many as two to three fewer games because teams have had as many as 13 when they've played one of those preseason, you know, Eddie Robinson classic or whatever. Um this would be a perfect year to expand it to an 18 playoff. I would not argue Joe is arguing for 16. Um, uh, at least eight, an eight team playoff played, you know, in the beginning of January. And I would say you don't, obviously you don't want to go up against the NFL playoffs in this situation. Should they be happening at the same time, but you can claim Monday nights, which people have gotten used to watching football on Monday nights. And now it's gone during the playoffs. And I guarantee you, Mark, that the, uh, that the television networks, that you have are, are starving for revenue as well because they've lost a lot in ad revenue. I think a tournament, an eight-team college football tournament, would be a, a big-time moneymaker. It wouldn't get you back where a regular season would have gotten you, but I think maybe you can make up half again what you lost, and that is my best argument for it. Well, that's why Major League Baseball is doing what they're doing with of this truncated season. Of so why, why not do that in college football? The argument about uh, staying in school or that it's going to be too much for the kids, I, I just that never held water for me because any other division outside, you know, outside of the FBS has a playoff. 
I don't, it's, it's called football. It's the FCS. It's football championship. It's like, why can't you just follow that particular thing? And, and, and in the case of this year, when you're dropping off teams, when you're dropping off teams that you play like Louisiana State by the sea for nuns, Always. junior college, when wow. you drop those off the schedule, they lost North their- Wyoming State. Uh, school you know, for nuns lost their accreditations school. for upperclassmen. Oh my God! It's now only a junior college. <laughs> it's only what a happened? junior college. Well, the Catholic Church is struggling like everything else is, and sell that seaside uh, real <laughs> estate, and you can afford to buy it back. For God's can't sake, can't do that. Too many cardinals. Too many cardinals <laughs> want it. So the thing is, is that I think this is the perfect time to do it. Yeah. Now I know the old school people are going to worry, just like the baseball old school people are going to worry that some of this stuff is going to take if you will and you know roll the dice people it, we're in a roll the dice era right now if any if there is a if there is a huge bright side to this you know shitstorm frankly of a year is that it really does demand innovation it demands rolling the dice it demands taking a chance it de- it demands it so college football the least Innovative sport out there, probably. All from, well, from the old whiteys running it, certainly not the systems now. The systems now are telling the NBA, the NFL what to do in a lot of ways. Yeah, they are. But uh, this is the time, John, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it'd be a blast. And again, follow the money if that's your issue. And I certainly understand. We all talked about this, whatever our belief was about teams playing and going back to school. And I think I've been pretty consistent where I've said whatever your opinion is, on uh, on on the best way to proceed, as long as you accept that there are, you know, I, I, you can't be a hoaxer and, and 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 I can't involve you, but you do accept that there are issues. I, I think we can talk about how you a best hoaxer? navigate those, a how you hoaxer? best navigate those things. Um, so I, I, I just I, I I know they won't do it because yes. they fear change so terribly much. But I do think this is this is the one time for college football where you you're going to asterisk the season anyway. Um, you might even prove that an 18 playoff isn't what people thought it might be. Now, granted, you've taken out the Big Ten and the and the Pac-12, and it, you know three Big Ten teams would would have been there, and well, still no one in the Pac-12 would have gotten there because they'd all have two losses. But uh, you, so it's an asterisk season. Give it a try. Be a little innovative. Give yourself more um, evidence to argue your point. And I think the problem for them will be is that what will happen is it will prove to be incredibly popular. And you will have, you know, in, in a season like this, you could very well have a an 18 playoff that includes some teams that you might not otherwise see. You might get a Virginia in the playoff. You might get a school, um, you know, one of the Mississippi schools may get in if you've expanded the playoffs. Uh, maybe or one you of get the non-Power 5 schools. Possibly that, too, though I still think the prejudice towards those schools is going to hurt them. But maybe you would have that. And they would have a, a very poor showing. And you, know, you would have evidence on that the case. But I just think I don't think they want the evidence. In my well, mind. of course they don't. It took them forever to get to four. I think 16 would be great. And I think Joe, Joe's asked this question, how many teams do the FCS schools use? And I think it's 16. I, I think uh, it used to be 12 and it moved to 16. And, point, and that would be a lot of fun. And with 16, you probably could assume you'd get at least one non-Power 5 school in there. Because usually throughout the course of the year, a UCF or whatever it is, school that is undefeated, 
kind of kind of sneaks up to 12 or 13 during the course of the year and 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 they would be included in that and who knows it's it would be a blast it would i just think asking them to add 12 teams to the playoff i mean i just think you know those those teams would be playing a bowl game anyway yeah that's true and they could play them within the structure of the bowl games we talked about that um but i think again realistically i don't think it's going to happen anyway but i think realistically you could sell them on four additional teams. I think selling them on 12 additional teams would be tough. I would, I, any expansion, I would be fine with. Yeah. Any expansion. And is it six now? It's moved to six anyway now, right? From from four. I think it's a no. 16. I thought it was I a six. So. I, I, I think it's, it was a 16, I think right? it's still four, but I can look that up. Something, look something I should, re- should remember. But Major in, in League Baseball case, went, from five, went from 10 to 16. That's a pretty big leap. So. Yeah. It is. You know, it is. College football can, you know, college football can certainly try eight. I think but, eight would be a lot of fun, but eight would be, to your point, John, would be sort of the same teams we'd expect and in there anyway. It, it would. And uh, the, the argument, you know, the Major League Baseball one is they lost almost two thirds of their regular season to, to the pandemic. And, and it looks like college football teams are losing one, two, or th- the ones that are playing, obviously, one, two, or three games. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, again, it would be a little bit of a harder sell, but. But they're also not, you know, they're the Major League Baseball is also facing the same thing college football is. And 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 that is diminished gate. So it's not just the, they're playing the games, but they're making a lot less money per game. Right. I don't know. I think uh, I think the SEC is, I don't know, maybe 20,000 people tops in each I, of the I stadiums. Know Florida, Florida, I think, had 20 percent of the of. Yeah of the swamp would be filled. So, and I think which, that comes out to like 18,000 plus or something, which, which means it's like one seat and then four more, you know, then there's four empty seats before the next seat, which I think is like, fine. You're outside. I don't get what the issue is. I really don't. You're, you're socially distant and you're wearing a mask and you're outside. Uh, you, you're preaching to the you're preaching to the choir. I think we all go back to the like or hate Bill Maher early on in this. He goes, "How come I can get on a plane, but I can't go sit outside in a no, one third full Dodger Stadium?" And I think that is a question that deserves an answer. And, and listen, if you can put people in front of me that tell me that it's that it's unsafe, it's more unsafe, then that's perfectly fine. But I do think uh, you know, let's use some common sense here in college football. Let's look at a way where you can, if you are so sure of your position that it's not good for college football, try it once. And you know what? Maybe it does prove to be. Maybe those, maybe that, maybe that school for maybe the the uh, Boise State or whomever you get from one of those. Maybe they are blown out by a you know a, a team that you know is not a great football team. I mean, maybe there's some argument you can make, but I think the the fear is that. Uh, you know, you can, you're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. Well, that is the fear. But at the same time, you can say this is an experimental year for everyone. Right. You know, Major League Baseball more than likely is not going to stay with 16 playoff teams. Don't you agree that the TV contract is is bullshit for this year because the, the, the networks are dealing with things as well and that they would be willing to at least sit down and discuss something that could add for them? Yeah, I don't what, think that's a good argument. I don't think also the playoff college football games. That's going to be a money. I don't think loading up the, the, the students is that much of an argument either. I know, know, by the way, maybe by January, when you have these games, maybe you can fill your stadiums to 50% capacity at that point. It's uh, there are lots of questions that deserve answers with this particular topic. Another thing full of questions that deserve answers, our progressive trivia. Let's take a look. All right. 
Amanda, Joe's wife, uh, has said that uh, it's smart of me to pick baseball because he's not really a baseball guy, so he's not going to be tempted to cheat is what I'm getting from that. By the way, I'd like to point out that I, to Joe also that I've not gotten a haircut. My hair is pulled back in a ponytail right now. And that's why it looks Which I had a comment about. Oh, yes, you, you made fun of me, apparently. <laughs> no, apparently no, no. Your, your toxic masculinity came into play and you, uh, you know, you, you, you belittled me. So great. Bully on AFR. I, I belittled, I belittled John Pelkey. It's the only, it's the only way to, uh, communicate with a bully is to bully back. Fair enough. I played 17 seasons in the majors for three teams, had 120 plus plate appearances in the playoffs, hit 230 in that. It's not, not a good playoff performance. Mm. Played with Otis Nixon and Edgar Renteria. And I don't know how you, discerned what you discerned from that uh finished in the top five for mvp three times next clues were these uh that actually threw john pelkey more off track five-time all-star played for eight managers led the league in home runs once and averaged three times so that's a versatile player hall of famer oh by the way let's go to the last four clues never won a world series did win one mvp had over 2100 hits and over a five-year period hit 350 or better, four times, which is outrageous. That is 350 outrageous. or better, four times out of a five-year period. Wow. So that those are outrageous. our clues. Uh, good luck with everyone. Hey, I think it, at the end of this, also, uh, of this progressive, it's a nice time to mention uh, Lou Brock. We've lost Lou Brock, another one of the greats. And we lost Tom Skeever just a week or so ago. And, Mark, you found an amazing statistic about that. Remarkable. We just lost Tom Seaver, as you mentioned, just a few days ago. Uh, Lou Brock, I think, yesterday. And they faced each other 157 times. That was Those two guys were in the pocket of that 60s, 70s yep. uh, MLB stardom. They were two of the best. They faced each other 157 times. That's the most times Brock faced any pitcher was Tom Seaver. And the most times he faced any batter was Lou Brock. Wow. So how about that? 157. And they faced each other a record number of times for each of their careers. That's that's remarkable. Isn't that amazing? That and really now, is you know, Now they're both gone. And it's, uh, you know, to your point, John, it's just what happens. It's just what happens when you age is that your heroes and then your friends, you know, start yeah. to. Start dropping off. Yeah, I know. You know, and and as I said, you know, tragic death is one thing, but now you and I are so old that you know the guys who are our heroes are are passing away. And we're like, oh, that's sad. And then we look, and he was like eighty nine. It's like, no, no, that's not possible. How is that even possible? Again, I think any of us would love to live to eighty nine, except oh, the day be, except the day before our eighty ninth birthday. We. Maybe yeah. say ninety five at that. And that would have meant that I went uh, thirty four years. Uh, of my life without work. So that'd be, you know, cause yeah. that would be, that, I would, I would, uh, you 34 know, year retirement. that's a 34 year retirement. You gotta be pretty, pretty happy about that. All right. Cost of living uh, better drop. If that's going to be the case, the NHL playoffs, it turned out, uh, sort of chalk in the way, uh, that the teams that were all up three to one that found mm -hmm. themselves tied three, three, they all won. The stars won, the Islanders won and, uh, and Vegas won. And uh, that was highly disappointing to me because my Flyers were, uh, you know, my Flyers were doing so great in the playoffs. Uh, and in and, and in the way, you know, the, the Lightning Stars would be the most non-traditional matchup. We we're talking about traditional matchups to get everyone back to normal. Yankees, yeah. Dodgers, and yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. The Yankees are falling Ooh, fast. Six and a half um, back. 
Signs of a Cowboys, God. Cowboys, Steelers, Lakers, Celtics, yeah. uh, Islanders, Stars would be, you know, I mean, it, I don't, were the Islanders part of the 67 expansion? Uh, I think they, they may have been. May, I think so, yeah. Or Ve- Vegas, Vegas, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, Vegas Lightning. Obviously. Yeah, that'd be that'd be yeah, that'd be some. I want to ask Jeff a question about the uh, about the uh, Vegas because they lose they lose to Dallas, and I think more concerning over the last two games they've only scored really one goal. They had two open net goals, and I don't I don't count that. Uh, though I get upset how many times I see guys miss an open net, but two goals in two games for Vegas, and I know you're very very high on them, uh, Jeff. They're big, they're strong. Um, any concern that uh, that lack of offense is now starting to uh, become an issue two games, you know, one goal later? No, I, I don't think okay. so. I think puck luck is just a thing. I think sometimes you hit a bunch of posts. You uh, it's it, if they were getting, you know, eight shots a game, I would be worried. But uh, there was an extremely low amount of shots in the in the last game, but it wasn't them. They they I think they'll be fine. All right, fair enough. That just that just happened. I didn't I didn't realize until watching the game where it was like, yeah. Remember, two of those goals that they had were empty net goals, so they have been a little bit uh, bereft of goals. Uh, when 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 you're when you're the team that's ahead and uh, another team is trying to fight back, it doesn't surprise me at all that you don't score that much. I mean, that team is definitely on their toes playing defense, so. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't frighten me. I, I really am leaning towards a. Uh, I would like to see Dallas and Islanders final. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that would be that'd be a great matchup. And I believe the Tampa without Steven Stamkos now for is it for the entire series or just uh, is he sort of a game to game situation? He's been out for a while. I, I don't think they've really. They're not. They're not uh, do, uh, releasing as much uh, injury. Yeah, all I saw was he not available for game one, and they haven't gone past that. Yeah, he. They. They're not. They're not releasing a ton of injury news out of the bubble. So uh, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe just so people don't freak out that everybody has COVID. They're just like, we're not going to tell anybody that anybody's got anything, but, uh, but, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting series because Tampa really is one of the best teams in hockey. I personally hate them as a team and as a city, (laughs) but I, they, they are good. And I, and I, and I know every time I write them off, it's literal. It has nothing to do with hockey. It has everything to do with my personal feelings. So you have to, you have to accept the fact that they have a, a really good goalie. They have a high powered offense. They have a guy who is constantly at the top of goals per season. So they're, they're a great team, but I, I just really feel like the hockey gods are going to give it to Barry Trotz because of the fact that he won a cup and then was not given another contract to stay that clearly hasn't worked out for the capitals. And that literally will be his ability to put a finger up to uh, the, the management at the Washington. Ted Leonsis. Ted I think it was more, more uh, McClellan though, because I, I I really think that he kind of wanted his own thing. I think he wanted to move on from the McPhee era and he wanted to, to have his own thing. All right. Uh, Speaking of injuries, you're talking about the lightning and, and injuries. The Yankees are decimated. Urshela, Stanton, Judge. I mean, those are three basic superstars that completely power that offense, and they are they are falling hard. Now, they're still in the playoffs as we speak, and, and I don't think they have to worry about not making the playoffs 
because they're three games ahead. The, the teams that are behind them are the Mariners hmm. and the Tigers, who are fine, but they're still the Tigers. They're teams that aren't very trustworthy. So I think they're going to be fine, even if they're seated eighth. Which but they they're going to have well to get it. to your point, and you know, making fun of it. And I've been having a good time that they're six and a half games out. And and by the way, it, and then you have Tampa Bay, who is as or Tampa are they the Tampa? They're still Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa Rays, whatever they call them these days. They're the hottest team in baseball. I mean, yeah. over the last couple of weeks, so they're playing very very well. And you know, uh, Toronto's playing well. Uh, the White Sox are now in first place in the Central. The Central is is the nutty is the nutty division. Abreu cool. is exploding for the White Sox. That's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so Major League Baseball is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, as as of right now, the Giants would be tied with the Marlins for eighth place for that final playoff slot. The Giants wow. and the Marlins. Boy, boy, if, it, if they end up tied, that one-game playoff, boy, that's going to be... Uh, it's not going to work out for the Giants because they do not have a good history against the Marlins. The game's going to be on 1 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon and... Uh, Mark will be rushing through the show just so he can watch it, and four innings in, it'll be over. And oh, it will be. There's we'll no may, maybe never it. see you on the show again. Jumping to the NBA for a minute. Yeah, uh, let's do it. I really thought that um, if the if the Bucks could come out and make a statement, that it might be a turnaround game for them, and they might be able to, you know, maybe shock everybody and come back on Miami. But I'm sorry, you're down three nothing, and you got to get to overtime to win that game. I, I would be no more um, optimistic as a Bucks fan as I was going into that. They are going to flame out, and they're going to make a coaching change, and there may be personnel changes there because that's I, I just think for them to go out at this point is is unacceptable. Well, I agree, and uh, at least they didn't get swept out. True. But yeah, they do not look good. They are not built for the playoffs. It's clear. I I and, seems like it. I wonder, though, if they – I don't know that they need a coaching change. I think they need a, a, a GM change. Player personnel yeah, seems to be their problem. They let go too many guys. I mean, you don't swap out Malcolm Brogdon for Wesley Matthews to be your your sixth man. Uh, it, just bizarre moves in the offseason, maybe to make them a better playoff team. But they played without Giannis in that game for most of that game. And the it kind of showed – that they are, I think, a better team when he not a better team, a better team team when he's not out right. there on the court because everything's not flowing through him. You, they involve more people. Yeah, he's not LeBron James. I, I must say, right. LeBron James is better than Giannis Antetokounmpo. He he needs. They they can't expect. So he deserved him. the MVP this year, LeBron. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, LeBron James in this NBA right now deserves the MVP if he shows up for the first game of the season. He is the best player in basketball right now. And because of the fact that you can run a team through him, he actually suffers more when he's got somebody else that they're trying to run the team through. They've, they've got AD now who they're trying to get the ball in down low. He gets destroyed down low. And they continue to go to him where LeBron James, they should have run the offense through him the whole time. Well, I'll well, tell you a little bit in the fourth quarter and it made, it made a difference. Uh, Lakers are tied and the Clippers are tied with the Nuggets. But do, does, do any of us think that that no. well, final I'll, is not going to be Lakers Clippers? No, I don't. I, I think d- it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put money on it. But I'd say if there was a team that was more likely to lose their series, it would be the Lakers. Right. I would agree with that as yeah, well. Yeah, that's fair. And, but I'm going to jump. 
I just want to say one more thing about the Bucks. I don't disagree with you about the coach, uh, Jeff, but it, everything that I've seen, everything that I've seen is it once they lose, he's gone. They're going. I just think in it's the NBA. Yeah, it's what they do. It's I mean, it's what they do. It may be the most coach scapegoated sport that there is the NBA hockey's pretty bad too. Yeah. NBA won't do it. You know, well, sometimes they do, but you know, they won't do it in the middle of the playoffs or during a period break, like they will in hockey. But I mean, <laughs> the, the so, firings, the firings are more bizarre in hockey, but they're, they are. they're less based on whether or not it's the coach or the GM in hockey. <laughs> right, right. Good call. Now you brought up this point last show, John, and this is a uh, perhaps prescient of you that the last second loss of Boston to Toronto on that miracle three-point shot the other night. Uh, is that a harbinger for the rest of the series, you said? And I said, no, no, this was a lucky thing. Well, now now, now it's 2-2. Now Toronto's found life. It's 2-2, two two, Boston and, uh, and Toronto. What do we think the finals will be in the Eastern Conference? I, Miami know. against who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Miami. Yeah, no, okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I do think uh, Toronto might have been fueled by that a little bit. I think it's interesting with things happening in the bubble, taking out the home field or home court, excuse me, advantage for guys. So it's kind of hard, a little more difficult to determine what you think mo- um, momentum is going to be. Um, but I, if I'm betting right now, I say the Eastern Conference final is uh, Miami and Toronto. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then what's the, what's, uh, what about you, Jeff? What do you think? I agree. And the reason why I agree is because I just don't think Jason Tatum's ready yet. I said that they were going to be, I was going to matter what Brown and Tatum did and they have fallen off. So I think it's going to, I think Toronto is just a more seasoned ready for action team than is Boston. So let's face it. It would be fun to have Toronto Clipper final. With uh, Kawhi at the center of every Only story. Only if Toronto wins. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, just the setup for it would be a lot of fun because it'd be like, all right, was Kawhi was Kawhi the difference? Maybe not. Uh, but I just think I don't know. I just think the Lakers. I'll be very surprised if the Lakers don't get to the NBA Finals. I think they're going to find a way. I think LeBron. He doesn't only find a way, Jeff, but he he finds a way for his team. That there's always going to be one guy that steps up That's, unexpectedly to to do something that they have to do to give LeBron a little bit of a breather so that he can take over the other three wins. That's that's uh, the but, difference between LeBron and every other player is that you're right. He can do that. He can elevate other players on the team. But if they're not elevating, then he triple elevates. He goes into NBA jams mode and takes over <laughs> the game himself. The, it's crazy. I don't know how it happens. They could put four guys on him. It doesn't matter. He still manages to pull it off. And I don't know, you know, if one if one guy steps up for one of the games, it, it's important to give him a little bit of a break. It's his 17th season, for crying out loud. So <laughs> to expect him to take over every single game in these next few series is probably too much. But I still think that they're going to they're going to make it. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Boston uh, step up. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know that I put money on Toronto winning it, but I would say right now momentum, as much as we can tell in the bubbled situation, momentum is sitting right there in Toronto. And I think Toronto is a very, very good basketball team, and I think to a certain extent they've underperformed a little to this point. 
It's so funny about momentum, though, because Boston had all the momentum until literally 0.5 seconds left in the last game. Right. So it was not even two games. It was not even a game and a half ago. It was a game and 0.5 seconds ago, Boston had all the momentum. Right. But sometimes that can happen. A lot of times that hangover is only into the next game. So we shall see. Perhaps the, the, the change there, but a lot of times that's a, you know, that can be a hangover that lasts as we've seen frequently and particularly seen when, when a, when a, when a favored team that I think most people agree is, is, is a better team, though not by a long shot, but a better team. Um, uh, when a favored team takes over that momentum, uh, I think you see more often the hangover maybe lasting a little bit, a little bit longer, but maybe, maybe it's only one game hangover. There's and only. There's only one really important thing out of the NBA that I need you guys to go on record of right now. If Miami wins the championship, Eric Spolstra, great coach, right? <laughs> you know what? If if Miami wins the championship, I will place him in the top 10 all time. He's won now with two. He's won three world championships, if that's the case, with two very, very different teams. He wasn't there in 06, right? It was it was Pat Riley who finished that season in 06. So, but yeah, he would he would have three now. Yeah, you'd have to put him up yeah. there with it with the best of all. Now, is he in Phil Jackson's territory or Pat Riley's territory or Red Auerbach's territory? I don't think so. I I will but say this: the only reason men, why I the only reason why you would have to say is because those guys had players that that put them in those positions they were great coaches they got a lot out of really good players who plays for the miami heat well in terms of this year he obviously had players for his first two he obviously oh, had right, players right. They, no, they designed definitely. it that yeah, way yes so uh there were two hall at least two hall of famers on that team and uh and we, it's important to it's important to point out that Phil Jackson took over a team in Los Angeles with the same personnel that had not won under Dell Harris. Mm -hmm. And it should be pointed out that he took over a team in Chicago with the same exact personnel that Doug Collins didn't win with. So yes, they were great players. It turned out, but how much is that because of Phil Jackson? I mean, I think that needs to be factored into those equations, but I obviously your overall point is, is understood. Johnny, no, what, what, yeah, what do you have to say about all this? Uh, no, I mean, I don't think there's any, if he wins a third uh, NBA championship, then I just, I mean, I think he is comfortably in the top 10 and then you really just argue where you slot him in. I mean, he's no flip Saunders. I think we would all agree. And uh, he, uh, he's no Muggsy Bogues. I mean, there are a number of guys that would, that would slot in ahead of him, but uh, no, I, I think it would be, it would be, it would be amazing. And I've never been a necessarily a Miami heat fan, but uh you know, again, in this in this weird year, they're kind of fun to watch. They are fun to watch. I will give you that. They, Not every team in the playoffs is fun to watch, and they are. No, they are. They seem like let's just figure out a way to win. Let's That's just a, like and and we're we're pretty athletic. They're pretty athletic team. Yep. And it they're pretty fun. So yes, might be right, the mindset Jeff. for the bubble. Might be the mindset for the bubble. Like the you know teams that are so used to you know they went home court advantage and what this crowd maybe maybe this Miami team is like hey let's go let's go play. I yeah, c- I feel to lose. I feel pretty comfortable saying that not one player on that Miami Heat team is going to go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right. If he wins yeah. with a team like this with no Hall of Famers, that no one expected to even get this far, then yeah, he has to be in a conversation about that, Jeff. And I will forever (laughs) 
I will forever eat crow. Uh, because I was so good, good. Yeah, arrogant because about gotta, how bad honest, or how overrated I, Eric Spolter was. I hate the Miami Heat, and to have to sit here and defend their coach anymore <laughs> on the show really bothers me. But I'm I'm dying on this sword. Hey, he, you know, Clearly. you make it a good case for him. There's no doubt about it. Make it a good case for him. All right, let's make it. I think I made a good case for this progressive trivia. Because you really did. No I didn't have a second right. guess. And uh, here we go. Let's go to the top of the. Uh, well, those are the last four. And those are the previous. So let's go. There we go. 17 seasons, three teams. They were uh, St. Louis, Colorado, and Montreal. Had a 120-plus number of plate appearances in the playoffs and only hit 230. Played with Otis Nixon and Edgar Renteria. We'll get to that in a second. (laughs) Finished in the top five for MVP three times. Next set of clues, five-time All-Star. Played for eight managers. Led the league in home runs once and averaged three times. And those leading average years were... Up there, you know, higher than 350. I'm in the Hall of Fame. Never won a World Series, won one MVP. I think it was in 97, if I'm not mistaken. Over 2,100 hits over a five-year period, hit 350 or better four times. It is the great, for at least a period of time, Larry Walker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you've said the teams, I remembered, wow, Larry Walker. Montreal, uh, to start his career. Colorado, where, where he had his greatness. Uh, because he was not only in Colorado, but he was at the height of the steroid era. And, uh, of course, no, no questions about Larry Walker, you know. And um, and then he finished his season with a couple of years with St. Louis. But eight managers in that time. And in Colorado, hit, you know, 363, 370, yeah. 350. And, and one year, led the league in home runs with 47. It's it's He had a remarkable sort of Don Mattingly-esque run, but it was a little bit longer. And and uh, his career was a little longer, and I think uh, that's why he snuck into the Hall of Fame. I don't; it was not on the first ballot. But well, and I think and I think people surprised when you say Don Mattingly. People surprised. I think had Larry Walker played at more of a uh, a recognizable. Had he been a Cardinal or a Yankee at some point, or a Dodger, or you know, Colorado, Montreal. Uh, you right. know, it's it, those aren't you know the the. Average baseball, baseball hub. Yeah, yeah. Had he been a, had he been a Cub? Had he been you know something sure. like that where it was a, just a more recognizable the, the situation? You can toil away in Kansas City. You, you're going to have to actually be better than somebody who plays their whole career probably with the Yankees and has. Right. You have to be Brett Saberhagen and, and win right. like two or three Cy Youngs to get noticed. And right. That's one of the that's one of the things that bothers me the most about awards. Uh, the Heisman Trophy is one that's, that's you know that's not the best player in college football. It's the best skill position. Ninety nine out of hundred, everybody will drop in the Charles Woodson, and that's just because Peyton Manning doesn't deserve to win things. Um, and but you know it's the it's the best skill position player on a Power Five conference top 15 finishing school. Those are the only people who are up for that. And I think that's, and I think that's tough. And you would think with baseball, which is so statistic driven that you would get less of that, but you don't, you don't, if it's, if it's the Yankees, Cardinals, Dodgers. Well, but, it, but to me, the formula for MVP in, in baseball is you have to be on a winning team. You have to be the best player on a winning team. It's very rare that an exceptional player on a bad team gets a look. Andre Dawson did it one year, mm-hmm. but I think for the, for the most part, you know, Willie Stargell got it one year for crying 79. out loud Didn't in 79. It. And 
you know, he was 280. Kirk Gibson was 280 for the Dodgers in 88, but it was, you know, the Dodgers won the World Series. And I know they don't say, they say the postseason doesn't matter, but you and I both know it does. Oh, of course. So, so Larry Walker, I have to get to the bottom of this. Otis Nixon, Edgar Renteria. And then you said Vlad Guerrero, who played for the Expos. Yeah. What, what possible giveaway of those two names could have led you to the Expos? Uh, well, I think I think Otis Nixon um, had a cup of coffee with with the Expos. Um, how, how do you know this? Well, I started when you said Otis Nixon. I started with the Braves because I worked sure. for the Braves and I have some good Braves knowledge. So I started knocking that one around, and uh, and, and then on top of that, and, and the Renteria was uh, just. For, for whatever reason, several names dropped into my hat. And then the 17 years, the only one MVP, you hadn't brought the Hall of Fame one up at that point. Uh, it was just it was just one of those where things came together. And I thought, Man, maybe maybe Vlad Guerrero. And I was trying to remember every place that Edgar Renteria played, um, which is. Which, of course, is a good clue to give because he played for, I think, 938 different teams. I think he played for the Boston Braves and the Houston Colt 45s at some point in his career. Seattle Pilots, he, he was a star of the Seattle Pilots. <laughs> he, he really was. Tom um, Marino brings up Mike Trout as the perfect example of a, a multiple MVP winner with a bad team because the Angels true. are a bad team. I think they've won five in a row, but they're still bad. They're still yeah. like but they also the they're also still in Los Angeles, a major media hub. So there's there's a little bit of that. Good uh, call. Good that, call. Yes, that's that's helpful. But that yeah, that's that's a good argument. But uh, that was kind of what gave sent me to Vlad Guerrero. And I just and I and I always try to think because I also know the mindset of when you're writing one of these and you have a guy who's got really really good statistics that you think would be a name you'd remember immediately you have to start thinking about guys you might've forgotten and Vlad, who was a, you know, front page all-star player yeah. for, for a very long period of time. I think there are a lot of people now who've forgotten how good Vlad Guerrero was. Oh, he was so fun. He was so Oh fun my God. I loved him. Loved, loved him. But loved Larry him. Walker's kind of a forgotten. Oh guy. yeah. And Larry Walker was a good dude too. He was always, he always fun. I, I had a chance to interview Larry Walker and yep. uh, just a, just a, just a solid, solid, good dude. And a hell of a hockey player too. Canadian guy could have played yeah. in the NHL from what a good I've stuff. All right, quickly, John. We're already, yep. you know, we're, we're way over, way, way over. Although Jeff says it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. It's a podcast. Matters doesn't to matter. you. Uh, all right, maybe it does. Maybe I'm the only one that cares about this. I got a series of pre-show notes. I mean, I literally, I'll show you. I should show you the rundown. It's like uh, I'm going to stick to this because it's already at 59 minutes, and I know what that means. It means yeah. shut up. And I tried. No, it does not mean to shut up. No, you did you did very well today, John. You did very well. Uh, all right. No, no evil. Final preview. Final preview for the deep dive, and then Joe Connolly wants us to give our predictions for Houston, Kansas City on Thursday. Since uh, well, we'll, we'll, we can actually, I'm going to save that till Wednesday because we're, I'm going to the deep dive is going to be a little more succinct this time because it's really right. only covering one thing in a short. It's not quite as, as the we'll the, see the breadth of it isn't quite as good. No, I'm really working okay. on that. Okay, we're working on that. But I tell you what, it will get it'll it, in that period of time you are going to find out a lot about um wartime sacrifice what uh what living during the second world war was like for the vast majority of people it it it, it touched so many more people than an average war experience that people listening to this show might remember even people our age who might remember a bit of vietnam 
um, but the wars that we've had uh, otherwise, it, you'll learn a little, a little bit of the history of the National Football League. You're going to learn a little about, as I mentioned before, Major League Baseball and how it was the sport of record in this country in 1943. I think I mentioned this in one of the other deep dives. Uh, Major League Baseball, boxing and horse racing were the most popular sports in America at that time. And college football was well above the National Football League. In, in my research, several guys talking about just saying, you know, I had been working for an insurance company for a couple you know, three time all American in Illinois. I was working for an insurance company. Somebody called and said, do you want to play for the Eagles? And it's like, eh, I never really thought about that. I mean, it's just it's just bizarre. We can't wrap our head around it. And we're going to find about out about guys whose tentacles uh, have made their way into modern college football, modern professional football uh, and beyond. Just some just some fun stories and how Philadelphia and Pittsburgh just don't like each other. No, it's pretty fun. Pretty fun rivalry. There's always a border war somewhere, either between yep. states or uh, intra-state border war, and that's a good example of Two that. Two head coaches, both Hall of Famers, who hated each other. That's amazing. I love Just it. Fun stuff. Again, the hate, the hate can stay there. The yep. hate can stay in the sports. Right. Jeff hates Tampa Bay. Jeff hates Miami. He hates their teams, but he inexplicably hates their cities as well. But it's all within the milieu I, I, of sports. I never said I hated the city of Miami. I just okay. Hate you're the right. Heat you said you hated the city and of Tampa the Marlins. Bay. I like the Dolphins. <laughs> all right, ah, fair enough. Nice. But to my point, why I said we're going to shorten it up is let Joe Conley know. We'll leave some time at the end because we're going to make our prediction on that Thursday night game, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Mark knows so much. No, Joe Connolly says the over-under for the deep dive is 145. That's Take hilarious. Under. Take the Come under. On now. Take That's the under. Hilarious. Take All the right. under. That does it for us. Fun show, gentlemen. Thank you very much. It's always a, a great time to you know have a purpose in life. For this. this is it for you, right? Brief shining moment. Yes, it is. For John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor, I'm Mark Ferreira. Have a safe couple days. We'll talk to you. Deep Dive 9 coming up on Wednesday. I got nowhere to go. 